0: Welcome to another episode of Discover Ag, brought to you in part by Case IH. I'm your host, Natalie, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And I'm Tara, a dairy
1: farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together, we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space.
0: So this morning, I sent out a text, and you must not have seen the viral thing going around about the Roman Empire and males. No. No.
1: No, I honestly, since starting homeschooling, I feel like I have no time for social scrolling. So I'm I'm living under a homeschool rock. So
0: I don't quite know where it started, but somewhere along the way it started that men think about the Roman Empire all the time. And so people have been testing it and they'll ask their significant others, you know, just casually like, hey, how often do you think about this? So at 6.54 a.m. this morning, I texted Tara, Dan, and Luke together in our group thread. And I said, do you guys like ever think about the Roman Empire? And Luke goes, Yes, it wasn't built overnight, then lost. It's all of Morals and fell. And Dan goes, Yeah, I think about it often. How could something so big and vast fall? Then I always wonder how long before the US starts to fall. And then Dara goes, Why are we talking about the Roman Empire at this hour of the morning?
1: I know. Except for what's funny is that is what we're studying in homeschooling. So I was like, I've given it a lot of thought, actually. I've been thinking about the timeline of the Roman Empire, the fall of the Roman Empire. So I guess just chalk me up to our husbands. But I am only thinking about it because our history book
0: cued me to talk about it. I think it's so bizarre that men think about that.
1: I knew Dan thinks about it because he's talked about exactly what he said in the text that like, in the United States, like we think we are such a vast power, and I'm sure the Roman Empire did too. Like, at what point will we start collapsing? This is like a fear I think that keeps
0: him up at night. This is a hilarious thing to me. You I texted, clearly, I texted Luke's male um, fantasy football thread, and one of them was like, "Can't make it through the day without thinking about it." <laughs> like, what? No wonder you guys aren't getting other things done. You're all sitting around thinking about the Roman Empire.
1: That is so weird. Uh, in other news, I feel like I don't think I told you, but I did a massive house clean out again. I am getting into my minimalistic era. I saw. What I've decided.
0: On Instagram stories that you said you were doing a purge. You showed Dan cleaning the windows and then you cleaning the game room.
1: Yes. It's feeling amazing. All I can tell you is the more I get rid of stuff, the more I want to get rid of more things.
0: I feel like you are in your improvement era. Like you're. You did a post about your personal improvement, you're improving the playroom, Dan's got the windows, you guys are just teamworking it.
1: I know. Speaking of that, I did do a post. I feel like you and I have been like trying all the things lately, all the products. I keep getting asked what all we're doing, what all we're trying, and we like highlight some of them on the podcast, but like we're doing a lot of things. Red light, blue light, beef tallow, colostrum, like all of it.
0: I actually think for not this month's personal episode, but for what's next month? Would that be October? Yes, October's personal episode. I think we should do a deep dive of like our 10 favorite things.
1: I've been kind of thinking the same thing because we've added a lot of things to our routines that have made a big difference in our lives. And so I feel like it would be worth highlighting them and like actually getting into them and like what we think about them.
0: Do you know what's making a big difference in my life?
1: I can take a guess, but you tell me.
0: My Kindle.
1: Let's say it on the – oh, I was going to say Let's say it on the count of three, your Kindle. (laughs) Because I swear every single day I get like either – I see something about you or a text or something that is about you enjoying reading something.
0: Not to be dramatic, but I have read more in the last two weeks of getting my Kindle than I have probably in the last two years. It's crazy. Do you think it's – what do you think is the reason for that? It's because I never make it to the library. So I would always have all these books – And I never make it to town either. So I'm not like buying them as I'm shopping Target or other stores like most people are. So I didn't have access to the books. And I tried Audible thinking that would work for me. But it was too much stimuli. Like when I want to sit down to read, I feel like having someone shout at me, like whether it was through headphones so that my like no one else around me was disturbed. It just didn't work. The whole Audible thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I read on my phone, so I don't have a lot of the barriers that you had about like going to a library. So <laughs> In when this you, day and age, I already get my books digital. So I guess I don't know. I, I guess it's the phone, same what's kind of it through? for
0: me. I'm very confused.
1: I read on Google Play because I started with an Android, you know, years ago when I still worked for the third-party company. So I had a Google Play, and so I didn't want to lose my library. So even when I got my iPhone, I just downloaded the Google Play app, and then I just read. I mean, it's exactly like a Kindle and that it's like a dark screen with white words and you can turn on the light and you can turn off the blue light and all of those things.
0: I'm just rolling my eyes because, of course, it's Google something with you. You do Google Photos, you do Google Files, you do Google
1: Play. If Google falls, I will be dead Like, or my entire social like structure will be dead. I know everyone keeps telling me I'll like iPhone, but I really like the more I use iPhone, the more I like Google. I don't know what to tell people. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Apple, but I like Google better. On a different, completely unrelated note, we're all over the spectrum today. Did you enjoy your
0: mail delivery yesterday of seashells to Jax? Jax lined them on his window. He loved them. He wanted to call you immediately and tell you thank you. Backstory, as a girl mom, anytime Tara and I vacation together or go somewhere where there is beach and sand, she is toting around pocketfuls of seashells. And she has to collect them and sort them and organize them and wash them and do all of the things that your girls love to do with seashells. And I'm just over here like my boys are throwing rocks in the water and we're not collecting anything. And so Tara always jokes about how she's going to send me back stuff because I never have to like deal with the weight of seashells she does. And so when we went to Florida, she shipped seashells back to Jack's.
1: I will say it's not a girl mom thing. I've checked with boy moms. My girls collect all the seashells and all the rocks. And I feel like it's just like a random kid trait or not. Because I've talked to a lot of boy moms that are like, I have so many seashells and rocks in my purse, in my car. And I'm like, I relate to that so much. So I am trying to influence Jax to also be a seashell rock collector. And I did send you a seashell that I think still had some like live... crabs in it. And when I was packing it, I was like, this smells so bad. And I felt kind of bad, but I thought Jax would think it was so cool. So I don't know how it smelled
0: by the time it got to you in Nebraska, but it smelled pretty bad when I was packing it up. I didn't notice anything, but I also just let him grab them out and put them in his room. So hopefully I didn't send him with like crabs in his hair to school today or something. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. Sorry, (laughs) but not sorry. Oh, it's funny that you think it's not uh sex trait because that would mean none of my boys have and so I'm like zero percent out of three different personality types so that's very bizarre to me
1: I feel like it's like one child gets into it and they all like I don't think Annalise would have got into it but Guinevere was super into it so I feel like it's just like one kid does it and then the rest are like well then I have to have a rock and seashell collection I have so many rocks and seashells in my house it's unbelievable so before we get into our articles, do you want to bring us our word of the
0: week? Yeah. Uh, Your guys' discovery word of the week is, l- well, let's play it. Laconic. 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 Laconic.
1: It feels made up. Like, it feels like, you know, <laughs> one of those words that like, like Zillow, you know, like it feels like someone just, I don't know. I'm envisioning something like technology, laconic, like it feels
0: techno e. I don't so know. I, I immediately thought of iconic and I was, it has nothing to do with that though. But that's what first popped into my mind. But it's an adjective for using few words to express what you mean. Very, you want, it's like concise. So Leslie was a bit disappointed to have received the laconic great job from her teacher for a project she had been working on hard for the past two weeks. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. That reminds me of the episode
1: when Luke came on and Luke was like, I'm going to bring just as much value as Tara does to this podcast, but with so many fewer words. Yeah, (laughs) He was like, this podcast is going to be the shortest podcast ever. So apparently Luke is very laconic when describing things um, compared to you and I. All right, diving into our articles, but first we want to thank our sponsor, Case IH, to the men and women at Case IH. Farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. I have been hinting for a while that we have like a pretty big uh, project coming up with Case and I think... This week is the week. So stay tuned in my stories.
0: I'm getting really excited about it. I'm excited about it because you have been hinting at it forever. So I'm like, let's drop the ball, girlfriend. Hi. Diving into the first article headline you guys need to discover this week, titled, California Skittles ban advances to governor's desk. Here's what it means for consumers. The California Food Safety Act, a bill that will ban some food additives found in popular packaged snacks, is one step closer to becoming a reality. On Tuesday, California lawmakers voted and passed the bill, which is now on its way to the state's governor, Gavin Newsom. If passed, the bill will go into effect in 2027 and bar ingredients, which are already banned in other nations for their potential health hazards from being added to candies like Skittles.
1: To start us off, I want to mention we covered this actually on episode 95 when it first kind of like headline broke. Uh, And so if you want to, if you're interested in this, but want a little bit more like
0: backstory on it, you can go check out episode 95. So do you want to know something from when we reviewed that episode? I went back and listened to it. Did you?
1: No, I didn't listen to it, but I feel like I remember better what we talked about than you do
0: in there. I was quoted as saying that it went to assembly, but likely won't have enough momentum to get past. So everyone needs to stop getting their panties in a twist. (laughs) So
1: we are officially
0: at the point. And here we are. are
1: Speaking of panties being in a twist, I kind of feel bad for Skittles. Like, if I was Skittles, my panties would be in a twist because this does not just affect Skittles. It is not a ban on Skittles, it is a ban on like red dye. Forty, And I just feel bad that Skittles is the one that's like taking the brunt of the headlines. Every single headline is like ban on Skittles. And you're like, no, nobody's banning Skittles. They just have to change their recipe. And so will Gatorade and a billion
0: other different products in our food aisle. It is funny that Skittles became the mask, the unintended mascot of it. I didn't even think about like what the CEO of Skittles right now is like. It's probably probably so bad. He's probably so, so irritated. <laughs> They're going after four controversial but widely used food additives. So it's brominated vegetable oil, potassium bromate, um, propylparaben, and then red dye number three.
1: Yeah, the first three are outright banned across all of Europe, which you kind of hinted at in the intro. Uh, But red dye number three is permitted in candied and cocktailed cherries on the continent. But that's it. So, I mean, pretty much they're banned in Europe. The original bill did include titanium dioxide, which in that previous episode, I did mention that that seemed kind of weird to me that that was in there. It has since been taken out, but that's a really popular ingredient in like natural or low ingredient sunscreens. And so I wonder if that has something to do with why it was taken out.
0: Yes. Um, it, I was reading that it likely has to do with getting it passed. There were several pow- powerful industry groups, including the California Business Roundtable and California Chamber of Commerce, that they dropped their opposition to the bill once the titanium dioxide was nixed. So I think it was one of those things to like get it further along. They made compromises.
1: I think it's worth noting though, and we talked about this briefly in the previous, but I do think it's still the soapbox that I will kind of die on uh, when it comes to the red dye. Number three is that the Food and Drug Administration already banned red dye for the use of in, in cosmetics as early as the 1990s. We can still use it in food. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. When they used it on mice, they found the mice had cancer. And so if you're banning it in cosmetics, why on earth wouldn't you ban it in food?
0: Yeah, it is interesting. And we talked about it last time. We just said that they continually say they're going to like in the 90s, they were looking at banning it for the consumption portion of it. And I don't know, I guess they have a honey do list that is too long to get to that. I don't know why they keep putting it off. This article talked a
1: lot about, like, the European and, like, the bans that they have there and how, like, it's finally time the United States, like, catches up. And I'm not going to lie. I am not one for getting, like, real fired up about, like, it's banned in Europe, so it should be banned here because we take very different approaches to how we ban things in the United States versus Europe. And I don't always agree with why Europe chooses to ban things. But this one feels a little bit different to me than some of the other bans and food items personally. You mean you're for it, it? the ban happening? I think so. And I think it probably has to do kind of with if it's banned in cosmetics, I think it should be banned in food. Okay. But I don't like, I don't blanketly put that on everything. Like I see so many things online that are like, if it's banned in Europe, it should be banned in the United States. And I do not agree with that because I... I think I like our approach a little bit better in the United States, but I know that is a heated i'm I feel like people are going to come at me for saying that.
0: So I revisited the food science bay page not food food science bay page. Is that right? is that? Why am I thinking that's not how is? Okay. um, Um, And she does have a highlight bubble saved on this. It's called, I think it starts with band. So if you guys look for that, you could kind of go down a pretty deep, like extensive research review, um, scientific based articles, points that she has saved. I do think it's interesting. When I was reading that highlight bubble, what I kept thinking is, what are they going to replace them with then? If we remove these ones, because she does talk about how, Yes, the U.K. has banned some of these ingredients in the U.S. version, which then people automatically think, like, this must be bad. And obviously, that's, as you kind of just mentioned, that's not how it's work. It's not a blanket statement. Um, it's important to note that the U.K. uses a um, hazard-based approach while the U.S. takes a risk-based approach. And so that's why you do see different things banned in U.S. versus U.K., But she was talking about how unnatural colors are not necessarily safer or more nutritious than their synthetic counterparts. In many cases, they are less researched, have higher potential to cause an allergic reaction. They're less sustainable. Um, They can add unintended flavors to foods. They're going to be more expensive. Whereas these certified colors have undergone the extensive testing of how to be safe in the amount present in food, which I know that's like a whole thing we can get into that people do not talk about the dose. That's where the fear mongering comes into. But I don't think I've ever thought about when they're pushing for these you know, for ingredients to be removed, what are then we going to be replacing them with? And I think that's a really valid question. This actually got brought up on a podcast I was listening to the other day talking about how one of the things the US food system does really well is consistency. So when we go to the store and we grab the same brand or the same product over and over again, it does taste the same. And that's something we have expect, right? Like if you go for your favorite product, you want it to taste the same. And it's interesting think or question if we replaced some of those chemicals with the more again natural chemicals I mean still like a chemical essentially or natural substance would it take away that consistency that we are so used to as like a U.S. consumer
1: yeah I think the advocates for it you know when you think about like red dye three by itself like it's in very low quantities, it's obviously not bad for you. But the thing that I saw, this was on not in this article. This was, like, on a different podcast. It was like, okay, if you're having Skittles once a week, it's fine. But what about the kid that's, like, going through the cafeteria line or where wherever they're getting their food and they're getting red Gatorade. They're getting fruit snacks. They're getting Jello, And then maybe they're getting Skittles, too. Like, how much exposure are they getting that – when we set out the like risk assessment of these, we not intending for kids to be getting as much as they actually are. And like, are we studying it in kids? Are we studying it in adults? Because those are like very different populations. So I found that part of the conversation kind of fascinating.
0: I was also thinking big picture of like, we know Skittles aren't good. Why are we trying to make something right. that's not good good? Like why are we wasting our bits? Like if you are that concerned as a parent about what's in there, I mean, I kind of want to dive into a couple of sound bites because I felt like this article is actually again something we stand against, which is the fear-mongering. But it's like if you're so worried as a parent, which is what this article is targeting, like the safety of our kids and the reassurance of uh, you know our safety of mind, like just ban. Sugar, just ban the candy then. Like we don't need to restructure the whole food system so that California parents can feel good about picking the Skittles. It's like, just don't pick the Skittles. I don't
1: disagree with you. Why don't you give your sound bites? because then I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction. Okay, so there was
0: one that said, um, it's going to make our food supply much safer. It's going to give parents more confidence when they're buying foods at the grocery store. They don't have to worry that there's something in it that's dangerous for their kids. I'm like, there's nothing dangerous in Skittles for your kids. Um, another one, oh, it had to do with Europe. Where is it at? We know they are harmful and that children are likely being exposed at a much higher rate than adults. It makes no sense that the same product food manufacturers sell in California are sold in the EU, without, but without these toxic chemicals, our kids need to be protected too. Our kids need to be protected too from Skittles. I mean, I just have to roll my eyes a little bit. I know
1: we need to get that on video clip, uh, your facial expression in that one. So in a totally different direction where my mind went big picture is this kind of goes back to the pork conversation in California. This is another instance where California is going to be dictating what happens throughout the rest of the country. And that was a lot of the sound bites as well was if California has to change the recipe for Skittles or any of these other ones, Gatorade. I mean, there was, you know, thousands of products, uh, there's no way that Skittles is going to have two different factories where one just has for California and one has for the rest of the country. So, again, a decision in California is going to have widespread ramifications for the entire nation. And I think that's why the pork made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. It was not about animal welfare. It was about whether one state can dictate the intercommerce commerce of another state or the rest of the states in the United States.
0: I read a saying that says, as goes California, so goes the nation. And I was like, if that isn't the truth, (laughs) California is just out here dictating what everyone else can do, the rest of the lower 47. Well, that's kind of all I have for Skittles. Any final thoughts? No, I was going to say the governor has until October 14th to consider signing the bill into law, which I think is just crazy that this one person will decide on it.
1: Well, I mean, I think you're forgetting the fact that it went through committee, it passed committee. So all those people in committee had to pass it. Then it had to go through the House and the Senate in California. And all those people get voted in by the people in California, right? Like, I mean, that's how our entire system works. And then ultimately, the governor can choose to veto it or sign it.
0: It's just crazy to me that the power is sitting right there on a piece of paper on his, do you think he's like dreaming about Skittles at night? I'm like, I would have nightmares about all these things. I had so much power to decide on if I was that person. If I'm being honest, I think there's bigger things on his desk than the
1: Skittles man. <laughs> I hope. I mean, based on what's going on in California, I hope he has. he's staying up at night thinking about other things besides Skittles. Don't you? One can hope. <laughs> okay, before we go on to the next article, we want to thank a new sponsor. It is Armra, and it is a cow's colostrum superfood whole Mm -hmm. food. I mean, it's amazing. We both started it. I've been on it for about a month. How long have you been doing it now? I would say consistently. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like 10 days, two weeks, maybe.
1: Yeah, so some really cool things about this product, as we said, yes, colostrum, colostrum from cows. Uh, we know what a superfood that is. If you are in the ag industry, and if you are not, it is seriously such a vital, um, important part, packed with so many nutrients. Really cool thing that's sustainably sourced. It's actually a part um, they source from the co-op that Daniel and I's dairy farm is a part of. So it's all USA dairy farms, and I don't know. I just I have really enjoyed it. It is about like immune strengthening is like its big thing that it's supposed to do. And I actually talked with a few people over the weekend who have been on it for more than a year. And they said that is one of the things they notice is they get sick less. So I'm kind of excited going into flu season to be having this in my like routine.
0: Yeah, everyone keeps asking when I share on my social channels if it is different than like the colostrum we can give our cows. Or, so, like, can we just go out to the barn and take that instead? And I'm like, I'm probably, <laughs> I probably would wouldn't really advise that. that. But it's going to be similar enough. And when you think about how important it is, if you're, you know, care for any form of animals, you guys know. Um, how important it is for them to get those colostrum and those antibodies that Tara is talking about, which is, you know, the antibodies are going to lead to that immune boosting effect. I am hoping to take it and see, I have seen that it has helped for hair growth and I am hoping to see that. And so that's what I'm going to keep you guys posted on for me. That has been one of my like focuses has been trying to like either find a hair supplement to take or like do a hair mask or something to help with my hair. I feel like I've always just had really fine hair to begin with. And now as I age, I feel like it's just not going to be any more like fluffier (laughs) without you know some form of help. So I am taking it for that. I will say it is so easy to use. I have used the non-flavored one so far. Uh, I do have a flavored one to try and we will let you guys know I think we should do like a taste test of them or something on the podcast but so far I've done the non-flavored one and it is such a small amount I was actually shocked at how little is in the packet compared to other things I've tried to implement I mean you have heard Tara and I talk about like trying to get collagen and a couple other things and I felt like those scoops were so big that they either ruined. like if I tried to do you know it in water just plain water it was like it became chalky or I could tell like the flavor, even though it was unflavored, the, it was changed. I could tell I had put something in my water and I could feel it even in smoothies. I, so it just didn't work for me. Some of those other things we tried, but the colostrum, I do not know it's there. I put it in my daily greens that I drink every single day. And so I just feel like if I do really see the effects I want from it, I will be a stand for it for life because it is so easy to put in your everyday routine. Yeah,
1: I use the blood orange and I love the blood orange. And um, you can put it in any cold liquid or food or like room temperature. You just don't want to put it in anything hot. It has over 400 living bioactive nutrients. And you mentioned that it is supposed to help with hair, we mentioned immunity, um, ignites metabolism, anti inflammation, gut health, skin radiance, like there's a lot of benefits, which we all know, like the power of animal protein. So it's not really that surprising. And one of the things that makes this product different is they do not use heat pasteurization, which they say can deplete some of those nutrients and some of those like microbes. And so instead they use a cold chain biopotent technology. Sounds fancy. I don't really know what it is, but it is totally different, but it basically purifies it and preserves it with cold instead of heat. So we've worked out a special offer for our audience. You receive 15% off your first order. Go to com slash discover or enter discover to get 15 off your first order.
0: All right, you guys moving into the second headline you need to discover this week protesters crash coach runway at New York Fashion Week coach leather kills one minute black leather moto boots pastel dog bone shaped handbags and leather lingerie were making the way down the runway. And the next moment two female protesters wordlessly slipped into the model lineup in the all important march to the photography pit. Is anyone surprised that PETA's behind this? Like <laughs> That is literally my first note. No surprise to the group <laughs> behind it. PETA <laughs> I am like, I almost hate
1: that we're covering it because they're giving them the attention that they so desperately want and need every time they pull one of these huge stunts. But here we are. So I've accepted we're covering it. And my first question is, like, why coach? There's probably so many New York fashion shows that had leather. Like, why did they single out coach? Like, I always wonder what their strategy is, what's going on. Knowing what I know about animal activist groups, it usually has to do with trying to tank some kind of deal or some kind of sale or something that, like, will really hurt a particular company. Company at a particular moment. So it makes me wonder what Coach has going on, why they targeted them.
0: I read in a couple different articles that Coach is associated with being a leather forward brand. And so I think it's just incorporated so much that it was a great target for them. But you're right. I do think they're very strategic in that because I was reading a quote about, well, we'll kind of get in a second, but I was actually reading a whole article on how, like, is leather the new fur? And in that article, they were talking about how there was a very famous brand that was known for using fur all the time in its show and in a lot of its clothing. And I I can't find it right now. If it comes to me, I'll share it. But they targeted them back when they were doing fur protests. And though that brand actually stopped doing it and it did have like kind of a mass ripple effect for other brands to be using fur.
1: Yeah, I actually have that question in my notes. Is anyone going to stop wearing leather because of this? Like, what will be the ramifications? But two sound bites that I thought kind of lead me into my next train of thought are that the intent was to slam the brand for its cruelty to cows and its reliance on environmentally destructive leather. And then the other one was today's conscientious consumers know that the future of fashion lies in innovative vegan materials, not cows sliced off skin so obviously like very graphic and detailed on how they describe things but like it kind of leads me to pleather let's talk about something that's destructive the environment and destructive to
0: animal welfare it is pleather and microplastics so that's the article i was reading about and i was actually really shocked it was in vogue business and it was titled is leather the new fur protesters crash coach show during and new york fashion week nyfw And you guys, I did have to make an account. I had to sign up for this. So you're very welcome. I deep dove this. I was committed to bringing the Vogue business to the Discover podcast. But they were saying that, uh, quote, ridding the industry of such a widely used, hard to replace material isn't straightforward. Finding scalable alternatives to leather that don't rely on plastics and match the durability of animal leather has not been easy. And I was really shocked that, I don't know, someone had the forthright and common sense to put that in an article.
1: Yeah. A fun fact Almost 35% of the primary microplastics in the ocean come from synthetic fabrics. So, vegan leather and things like that, from when it gets laundered and it ends up in our water. It's 35%. And you're telling me that natural leather, natural products are bad for the environment? I'm like, I'm having a hard time with that. But I do think PETA has been kind of. Um, Changing their tactics a little. When you look up like pleather, the very first post is actually a PETA article saying you don't have to use plastics to make pleather. You can use pineapple and apple peels and leaves. And so they're obviously trying to come up with something that is more quote unquote environmentally friendly.
0: It also sounds super scalable.
1: Right. Um, One of my favorite quotes from one of the kind of like anti-pleather articles I read was, if you are buying faux leather, you need to consider that you are buying straight up plastic. And I was like, oh, good to know it. I mean, it's PVC. It's all of those, you know, plastics that we think
0: of. I do think people are starting to see that maybe the wool was pulled over their eyes a little bit when it came to this like pleather, vegan leather conversation. Did you see the videos of the protesters for this? yes so I thought it was interesting. One was body painted, um, to look like muscle skin. And and then, so she was essentially wearing nothing and then had the body paint. And then the one behind her was in like the chic little dress. And then she had a sign that she held. And what I was kind of shocked about is how integrated it was. It was very smooth. They like hopped in, they actually made it pretty far on the runway. And then all of a sudden you see like security guards come out, which I don't know why, but it always makes me laugh they see the security guards come out and like kind of push them off. And then the show just like continued on. And I always wonder what like the people at the front row, like all the celebrities there were thinking when things like this happen, like, are they annoyed? Are they disturbed? Are they, I don't know. I'm just always curious. Oh, I think they're probably kind of annoyed. I,
1: I feel like in today's like consumerism, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's the off celebrities that like take stances on certain things, but I feel like, if you are sitting at New York Fashion Week and you are buying those products and buying tons of stuff, essentially, I don't know that you get a platform to say whether one product is better for the environment or not, right? Like, I mean, you probably like flew there on your private jet, burned a massive amount of fuels, had security teams, like just thinking about all that goes into like the footprint of a celebrity attending that event compared to the footprint of like leather. Does that make
0: sense? Mm -hmm. It did remind me, though. Did you see that there was another protest in the news at the same time? It's something we covered before. Mm -hmm. Which one? The U.S. Open. Oh, what did they protest? So uh, during the middle of the Coco Gauff and the Czech Carolina um, Muchova, I don't know if I said her name right, match, the play was halted for roughly 50 minutes as agitated fans and even Gauff demanded the unruly protesters who were wearing and fossil fuels t-shirts be removed from the arena. So it's so funny on one hand, someone's like advocating for the use of fossil fuels. And then in the same state, kind of around the exact same time, they're like um, advocating to end fossil fuels. And they said that the crowd became like started chanting, like kick them out, kick them out. Um, one of the person glued his bare feet. And so they're like, they had to bring in the NYPD and a bunch of medical personnel and people were really, Upset about it. And it made me think, kind of what you just said, that I do think society is becoming a little bit intolerant to these people that are using their voice to um, obviously express rights they have, but they're doing it in a way that affects other people's rights. Like I have seen a lot of videos lately of people who are protesting stopping traffic and cars are starting to like, just hit them, like move them out of the way. People are getting out, like dragging them up the streets. Like there's a lot of, I feel like hostility around people that are like, you have a right to say that, but stop infringing it upon like my life and what I'm doing.
1: I am not surprised by that because I think I, we covered this last year on the podcast, like all of the things where people were throwing food on like paintings and like all of that and that was definitely the sentiment when we covered that Um, I do think though that they are trying to they like activists are trying to position themselves as like a rebrand kind of so the first rebrand I feel like was in the early 2010s when pleather got like rebranded to like vegan leather and now like we went so that went from like pleather was seen as like cheap and like you now not great and then vegan leather leather was like positioned as like cruelty free high end sustainable and now it'll be plant based leather which will give it a whole new rebrand mm-hmm. of trying to get people back in the fold of liking them like i just think every 10 years they've got to kind of like figure out what their new angle is to like have people not be turned off by them
0: they're so sneaky sneaky, sneaky little sneaky. buggers i did visit the coach page And I was looking to see if maybe they issued a statement, which I did not think they would, but I was like, I'm going to go catch out the coach Instagram page and see what's going on. I did click in and interesting enough, they are still getting comments about it now. Like, so you, I know that this has been blasted. We talk, well, you talk about this a lot because you've seen back end where activists, Facebook groups will announce, uh, they'll put out a post and basically say like, go target this person or go target this. Like they will give people a hit piece to, send like funnel their energy to essentially and so i think that the coach is probably trending in a plethora of activist facebook groups right now because i'm like i was kind of shocked that there were still comments going like from posts that coach was doing that have obviously nothing to do with new york fashion week anymore All right. That kind of wraps us up for article number two. All right. Heading into the last and final um, headline you need to discover this week, title Meatpacker Workers March for Worker Rights. On Labor Day, September 4th, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, UFCW, held a march through downtown Austin, Minnesota, as a testament to the unity of meatpacking workers. The union's current contract with Hormel Foods is set to expire September 10th, and with only a few days before its expiration, UFCW created a march to bring attention to the need for a fair contract. Obviously, we were past September
1: 10th, so update. Three days ago, the workers rejected a contract offer from Hormel, so they are still ongoing negotiations, but so far, no strike as of recording this, uh, but still under negotiation.
0: So going back to the article, there was about 1,000 people who marched through the town. They are essentially marching for le- They want increased wages, job safety, and improved benefits. So they are seeking $6.50 wage increase by September 25, whereas um, Hormel is offering $2.15 over the four years.
1: The March actually had like multiple stops through downtown Austin. And again, this is Minnesota, not Austin, Texas, um, which included the Spam Museum. Didn't know there was a Spam Museum, but it was dedicated to the brand's uh, pre-cooked meat products. So they definitely tried to hit some
0: important sites to Hormel. I was going to say, listen, if you're in a small town and you founded something, there is for sure a museum of it there. Like, I have driven through small towns on my way that have like clown museums and the largest world's ball museum. (laughs) And I'm like, if that small towns, we live and breathe and die by the things we invented. So, spam is big there. By golly, there's going to be a whole spam museum.
1: Side note, my favorite small town is actually Roswell, New Mexico, like 90 miles from us. That is where the aliens supposedly landed. And talk about a small town that has gotten behind something. The street lamps are shaped like aliens. The McDonald's looks like a spaceship crashed into it. Like, that's a play area. I mean, they are all out space Mm -hmm. museum. I'm surprised that their school isn't like an alien, honestly. Is their mascot? They're pretty diehard.
0: That would be funny, but no, it's not. But they Mm -hmm. should. They need to rebrand that. They do that's next up on their list. Uh, so this is not the first time there's actually been a strike. There was a pretty, I could say like heated, monumental, bitter one that happened in the mid eighties. Uh, when you Google it, it's been cited as like one of the more infamous episodes in modern U S label history. And I think it had a pretty big deal with like reshaping the demographic of the city and just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, it apparently very infamous. Yeah, when you Google
1: meat strikes or meat packers' strikes, anything along there, there is a long history of people striking at meat packing plants, not even just Hormel. But yeah, Wikipedia has an entire page dedicated to the Hormel strike of 1985 to 1986. Like that's the title of it. And then there are lots and lots of like JBS strikes. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I even ended up down some crazy European rabbit holes of strikes. Like there was this seems to be an area where it sounds like our food system needs some work.
0: I was going to say, usually anything to do with meat packers in the news, it's not like a positive article. (laughs) So if the, whether they're being talked about from the monopoly standpoint or a salary standpoint or a food control standpoint or a worker's rights standpoint, I'm like meat packers are just, I don't think anyone likes them, but meat packers.
1: Probably is true. I feel like they're like the one in Mean Girls where it's like, you can't sit with us. Yeah. <laughs> like that's farmers, ra- ranchers, the rest of America. Like You can't sit with us, meat meatpackers. Uh, so in this strike, over 1,600 workers are represented. And I thought that this quote from the Hormel spokesperson, this was prior to the fact that it didn't go through. This was our representatives will continue to negotiate in good faith and we remain optimistic that we will reach agreements
0: in the near future. Mm -hmm. No such agreements were reached. So I looked to see if the CEO had placed a statement and I did not find anything. Did you? No, I didn't. They're uh, definitely pretty tight
1: lipped. Um, I actually was surprised how little information there was online about this and even some of the other strikes that have been like recent in the news. Like I feel like the meatpackers keep strikes like pretty locked down as far as what hits like mainstream media. I have toured a plant. Have you toured a plant? A beef packing plant? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I actually very much enjoyed it. But I went to a local. I mean, they're big, but they're a local company. And I actually love working with them. They're phenomenal. We had a charity event um, last year. And I needed to get beef donated because of beef price increases. And I had reached out to a few different packers. And I will not name who turned me down and what they said about why they turned me down. But um, the one I toured. Yeah, it sounds was not like pretty. the milk. This come.
0: no, oh, I could spill some I wanna tea. I want to change our. I, was, I don't think we should spill tea. I think we should spill milk.
1: Oh, we can spill milk mm-hmm. um, as long as we're not crying over it, I guess.
0: <laughs> but this
1: packing company that I went and toured, they were phenomenal for the donation and just an a, incredible plant to go tour. I had such a positive experience. I left being really appreciative of knowing that that's where we send our dairy cows to. So Nebraska obviously has a
0: lot of packing plants. We rank pretty high up. I was actually surprised North Carolina, Alabama, and Georgia are some of the states with the largest number of jobs for meat, poultry, and they're counting, like, fish cutters and trimmers. So maybe that's why. Obviously, you see some of those numbers skewed. But we're actually not far from – Grand Island is a huge uh, area for packing plants. And so anytime I see articles about, like – meatpacking industry in the news, it always feels like it hits a little bit closer to home for me than it would have if I was still like, let's say in Montana or somewhere where I just didn't think about meatpacking much. I've also toured a plant and I was really impressed. I think there's a difference though, between actually going in and being a worker at the facilities versus like the big overview of meatpacking plants. Um, we have like wanted to talk about before when there was a a Nebraska plant that was turned in for having child labor at the, the meatpacking plant, um, and kind of obviously under, um, major scrutiny for that. And so, yeah, I don't know. On one hand, I think that meat packers are obviously like very, like when you tour them from a consumer perspective, uh, I think they're very like efficient. I think they're very clean. I think they're like advancement in technology is really great. I think there's a lot of really great things about a plant when it comes to that standpoint. Um, and there's also obviously a very, lot of wrong things that still need fixed with the meat packing plants as well.
1: Yeah, I wonder how many of those things would be fixed or bettered if we did not have the oligopoly. is that how you say it, of the big four, like if we had more diversity, like I think about the local, the local one I toured is, like I said, big, but it is not obviously one of the big four. And I just wonder how many more of like
0: those we could use in our country and how much of a difference that would really make. So when I was researching, trying to find, like, I wanted to find, like, the number of packing plants in Nebraska, and I kind of went down some some different articles. But one of the craziest stats I read was that in 1977, the four biggest beef packers controlled just 25% of the market. Within 15 years, that number had jumped to 71%, and now it hovers around 85%. So it's crazy how quickly that monopoly or oligopoly, as you talk about it, um, happened. Agreed. Uh, If you want to deep dive
1: the Packers, um, choose wisely. Our friend Caroline Nelson has uh, two part one, part two, uh, really good episodes where she covers like for an hour plus just the Packers um, each episode. So there's a lot of information there. If you want to dive more in, I highly recommend uh, those two episodes.
0: On that note, I think that's all we have for you guys. Don't forget, uh, we are doing a giveaway this month. So if you enjoyed listening to this episode, if you enjoy Discover in general, please share to your stories, tag us, um, go leave us a, a review and whatever listening app you're listening to us in. It means a lot. It helps us grow, helps us continue. So, um, and with that, thank you so much for discovering with us. We'll see you next week.